good evening, America. Good afternoon, Australia. You're back listening to Radio Tony, and this is your host, Tony Lontis. We have an amazing series of shows over the next six or so weeks with you. But just a quick reminder before I introduce you to my newest co-host, Michelle Sly. Um, Teo is listening live on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, and he's ready to answer any of your questions and point you in the direction if you want any further information, particularly from Michelle, Michelle's website, and any information that she uh, might be able to share with you, that will be in the live comments. You'll also find information on RadioTony.com under the co-host section where you will find links and more information about our gorgeous host for today. Now, this next series of shows will be touching on an important subject called sexual assault. Now, Michelle Sly is uh, an empowered survivor and she knows the difference between being empowered and just surviving. Michelle was the victim of six rapes and one sexual assault beginning at five years of age. She's experienced the persecution, the challenges of her permanent pain and a work-related injury. She's been stalked and powerless and has lost some close someone close to her due to domestic murder. Now Michelle helps people to stop being at the mercy of their trauma and triggers. Uh, and this occurred years ago when a 17-year-old in, girl in Europe was allowed to die because she was struggling with the trauma of sexual assault and it broke Michelle's heart. It's also a topical subject right now here in Australia, and I'm really delighted that I have Michelle's company to talk about these subjects live on air. Michelle's dedicated to sharing her knowledge and offering a voice for those in the sea of silence. She is an advocate for change in sexual assault culture and for those who have experienced sexual assault uh, and in 1997, she set a legal precedent around sexual assault. In 2010, Michelle disempowered a sexual predator and stopped him from raping her because she didn't respond like a victim. Michelle authored a best-selling book called Insight, Up Close and Personal Profile of Sexual Assault for communities to better identify sexual predators and respond in a more resourceful way to the trauma of sexual assault. Michelle has processes and knowledge that have set her and her clients permanently free from trauma, triggers and PTSD. Michelle says, together we safely and easily dig up the root of the difficulties and plant something that will bloom into happiness, peace and security. Stop focusing on what you don't want and follow a proven safe pathway to live the life you want. Good afternoon, Michelle. Hello, Tony. <laughs> it's so I nice. I am just so, I'm so delighted to have you here, listeners. Um, Michelle is partway between a journey from one state to another. She's actually pulled off the side of the road into a foreign town, into a foreign space, just to do the show live with us today. It's such an important topic to talk about. And just to let those of you know who are listening, we will be talking about sexual assault today. So please make sure you reach out and talk to someone if you need some help around these difficult topics. 
Michelle, I thought today that we'd start by telling the audience about your life and in particular growing up and surviving sexual assault. Okay, it's quite a big story, but I would like to just take a moment, that's all right, Tony, to thank and congratulate all those people that are part of a very special family, and that is a family of survivors who are throughout the world. And you know what? It's it's your communication with me and, and, and the bravery that you exhibit. It's such an inspiration. And, you know, I know that it can be so difficult at times just to get through the next hour or, you know, minute or second and just know that there are options that you haven't quite been made aware of yet and we're going to touch on those over the next six weeks and I am happy to answer any question that you have but for now I humbly celebrate and congratulate you for being here. Okay so a little bit about me. So I was five years old when I learned about sexual assault or rape. Now, it's very difficult to be able to actually say, oh, I was raped or I was sexually assaulted or I was this or I was that because nowhere in Australia, and this includes the rest of the world, is there a general consensus about consent. Now, if we're signing a legal document, if we're we're signing a a document with our accountant that we're giving them permission... (laughs) to send our tax return off to the tax department. We're consenting that we agree to everything that's, you know, that's in what they've actually prepared. Um, You know, we understand what that consent means. However, we just can't seem to grasp consent legally around sexual assault. And that's really disempowering to people. So, you know, I kind of grew up with this thing that had happened to me that I actually could remember. And I remembered sitting on this, I call him the extended relative because we have gag laws and I'm actually not allowed to tell you who he is. Yes. <laughs> um, he's not here anymore, but he's got family. But I, yeah, so I call him the extended relative. He was part of my extended family and I grew up in New Zealand in a little country town mm-hmm. called Plymouth. And I had a very big family and we always came together and we would do lots and lots of things. So cousins of cousins were part of the family. You know, it was sort of one of those those sort of big family kind of um, environments for me. So he was an extended relative, not an immediate relative. And I remember sitting on the swing set and he was placing... I'm pretty sure both his finger and his penis, but it's hard to say. I could feel the rubbing and the sort of little bit of the insert, but it's the smell. The smell, not just because one thing that I speak to people about when they're, you know, I'm talking to someone who's been um, raped or assaulted in some way, you know, we we can we we know I'll say to them you know what about the stench and they're like oh my god they stink you know but there's yes. a separate smell there's a separate smell to them and that's the smell of semen yes so I had these two senses with this extended relative at the age of five being trapped on his knee 
on a swing set. And then after that, having to watch him do this to other cousins and people in this environment because the adults didn't see it and they didn't step up. And I, I remember one day very distinctly, I had a very strong grandmother, very strong grandmother. Yes. And she yes. actually um, was a matriarch, a very powerful sort of um, driving force in the family. And, and I told her what had happened. And she said, there are some things that we don't talk about. And that's one of them. And for me, being this young kid and really identifying with the strength of the women around me um, and to hear that, it confused me and it made me quite angry, very angry, (laughs) you know. And and it was then at the age of eight that I woke up to found this strange person I'd never met in my life. In fact, I opened my eyes to this black hair. And he was pushing his finger inside me and he was sucking on my breast. And, and I woke up sort of like in this days of what was happening. It took me a little while to realise what was happening. And then, of course, there's a process that you, you go through. Um, yes. And um, I didn't know it at the time, but I do now understand. And, and this is something that I'm going to talk about just here because yes. a lot of um, people in the world of psychiatry, psychology and counselling and coaching, they talk about, oh, you know, you go into freeze, fight or flight. Um, no, yes. you don't. No, you don't. I've done this so many times. You actually go into shock, bang, and then you yes. go into something else. But the shock is the thing that stops you from breathing. It's the thing that creates the confusion and it's a, you don't even, it's not even a, it's a split second before you go shock, bang, and then something, whatever that response is going to be, which is all about preserving but, life. And it, it takes. Yeah, Michelle, it, you can't actually, sorry, Michelle, in that moment, know. that birth moment, you can't move, you can't scream, you can't breathe. No, Tell you me. can't. That's shock. And it's actually in the book. I actually um, found this fabulous report that was put in a newspaper from this woman and she thinks she wasn't raped and she she talks about what happened. And, and I've broken it down into each paragraph. I've given this commentary of, of the fact that she was raped and what was actually happening mm-hmm. to her at any given time to help people begin to understand. So many people say, I wasn't raped, but you know what? They know they were, but it's just that we as a society don't have an understanding about sexual assault and consent, and so we get confused. And the other thing is it's just not something that happens to us (laughs) because we're not those sort of people. And, I mean, at the age of eight, I'd already had to watch this other monster who had assaulted me, assaulting other people, other kids, and in front of adults. And, um, and here, you know, and it took me a minute to come to and realise, oh, my God. And, yeah. and he, he said to me, you know, um, we had a boarder um, and his name was Mac. And he said, if you take me out to Mac's room, I'll leave you alone. And, you know, eight-year-old 
wanted to be left alone. And remember, I was no longer thinking consciously. I was all about being safe because I'd gone into shock and now I'm trying to cope. And so I showed him, um, you know, outside. And I remember standing on the porch and looking back at him and he stepped out onto the porch and shut the sliding door. And in a way, and this sounds very weird, I was so grateful to the other chap (laughs) because I suddenly realised what he was going to do and um, I was able to run. And I ran 10 times around the house screaming my head off before he caught me. Yes. And he carried me off to to Mac's room that was at the end of the shed away from the house. And the thing about it is that I was eight years old. Now, if I hadn't had the other chap, can you imagine what a grown man would do to my insides? I would not have given birth to two beautiful children. So, (laughs) but, But he carried me in and he put me between himself and this bunk was right up against my legs and he started pulling his trousers down. And I think because I understood what was going on, you know, I was able to sort of dive between his legs when he couldn't move, pull the door open and well run. Well done. And I well could feel done. it right behind me. And I, I ran it, I flew inside and slammed the door and locked it and we sort of were looking at each other through this glass sliding door, you know. <gasps> I know. And I, I, I tried to wake Mac up. He was asleep. He'd fallen asleep watching the All Blacks playing Wales or something. Um, it's a rugby yeah. team. And so I was crying and my parents woke up and the police came, you know, and and they asked me, Do you want to do you want to go to court and say what happened? And and I said, Yes, I do. Because he hurt me. Now, I just want to say here to anybody who's listening that has never been through this, there's a very big misconception. Um, at the age of five, I'm still developing. And whether you insert something all the way or just inside, um, it hurts. I bled and I cried when I went to the toilet. It stung. And at the age of eight, I was swollen and bruised. I, I would hurt to wear underwear. And I cried when I went to the toilet because... Forcing his finger inside an eight-year-old child, that tore me. Is enough. It was horrendous, you know. And so, you know, don't think, oh, you've actually got to do the whole act because remember that you can't compare it to sex because it's nothing like it. And for the rate, it's not about whether he inserts something part way all the way or whatever it's it's, it's focused what he wants to get out of it how he set it up and what modus operandi he's following to meet his needs right so i think this is another area of of where people are blurred and what yes. happened that many many years later a very angry 14 year old who'd been asking for years do I get to go to court and got told you're making things up you don't know what you're talking about um had this Um, 
screaming match with my mother, honestly. It was a bit like, you know, the show down at the OK Corral, you know. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God, yes. my poor mother screaming at her. And she was in tears, sobbing, and she said, the police said you were too young, you'd forget about it, and the best thing we could do was tell you it didn't happen. And I said, oh, but you gosh. You know I remembered. And, you know, it was just in the last couple of years that I was on a website and um, there was a, 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 some parents and um, a stranger had come in, what we call a classic rapist, had come in to their daughter's bedroom, two girls, and he had assaulted the girls. Yes. And she, they were struggling uh, because they couldn't cope. And I said yes. to them, the most important thing that you must remember is that it's important to never want your children to forget this happened. Yeah. And like, what's the matter with you? <laughs> and and it's the thing is that triggers are pretty horrific. But if they come out of nowhere and you've got no context to put them in, they're a lot more damaging. Yes. Because then Absolutely. you've got to go remembering and thinking, and it's like it's not just a trigger that you're back in the, the assault, but you've got to go back and you've got to relive it in another way. And yes. I've spoken to a lot of people who have kind of had a feeling and then it's, it, you know, it comes back sometimes, you know, and yeah. it was really traumatising for them. So um, just a note there to people, it's really important, don't Please. tell that something didn't happen when it did. Because you're you're actually setting them up for more hurt, because yes. you're leaving them really unsafe. Very Absolutely. significant. Absolutely. Yeah. So you know, we we didn't have a very good relationship, um, and I got out of home as soon as I could, and I never yeah. got to the opportunity to go to university or do any of the things that I might have liked to have done. You know. Yes. So at the age of five. Um, I have a memory. My, my first memories in my life are my Cinderella and Snow White and Sleeping Beauty books, my pet, yes, and the extended relative. And <laughs> I don't have a memory of life outside of sexual assault. Oh, so by the, the chap at eight, you know, the eight years of age had done his thing, and then it's like it didn't happen. You know, I was now an extremely dysfunctional, extremely angry teenager who yes. um, who was, I, I, it's like every time I was assaulted, I died and yes. then I didn't know who I was. So I had to reinvent myself, but I didn't have a skill set. Yeah. And this is another thing that we must re realise as a society, if we're not better understanding sexual assault, how can we help our loved ones? Because yes. they don't have the yeah. skill set. And if we don't have a plan and a strategy, no man's land is a hideous place to leave someone. It's cruel and it's yeah. unkind, you know. Michelle, and I just... Sorry. Sorry, I just wanted to touch back on the importance of believing a victim when they disclose. Now, I have had some discussions on the weekend with um, the, uh, people, um, and I won't use names, but uh, their, uh, their go-to place in the first instance is they are making this up, they are lying. And it 
really makes me so upset because for a child to disclose something as personal and terrifying and traumatic as a sexual assault, the instances where they make that up are min- tiny. Yes. Look, the granted. thing is, Tony, children, we don't actually have an understanding of sex or sexual Correct. assault. Right? We don't have that's not adult. part of our child's context unless we're taught it. Now, I taught my children sexual assault age appropriately, and it's all in the book, without yes. emotion yes. that we that society attaches, right? So it's like, okay, there's some bad people and they might try to hurt your girl parts and that will make you very sad. And just remember, if mummy can't see you, then I can't keep you safe. You must stay where I can see you. And, yeah. you know, there was a whole lot of things, but it was always age-appropriate and never with emotion. It was very calmly yeah. done and it was simply about it'll make you feel sad, you need to tell mummy so that we can make it all better. You know, it was very, yeah. and it was very age-appropriate and there's a, a very extensive chapter on education and I only scratched the surface, but it's there. Now, I've got to love it. So, yes, as an eight-year-old being told that the nine-year-old, 10, 11, 12, you know, being told that those first two assaults didn't happen when I'm actually having nightmares, when I'm actually sitting um, in a classroom and I'm actually having flashbacks and I can't concentrate when I'm, you know, in primary school because I'm actually... I'm actually reliving people doing things to me while I'm sitting there learning about um, um, times table or how to add or spelling. It's ridiculous. And I've got no resources to put that into a context. All I know is we don't talk about it and that makes me angry (laughs) and that they think I made it up and that doesn't make sense because those people are supposed to love and protect me and they're busy telling everybody anyone touch my kids, you know, look out. And I'm thinking, well, liar. (laughs) So, yeah, so I was a very angry teenager. I got a job and I left home as soon as I could. Now, I was sexually assaulted again at the age of 16. And then at the age of 17, I was sexually assaulted again. And this is coming back to what you've just asked me, and I will share this with you. Yes. Yeah. Right? So I um, had been out with my girlfriend at a party and I was living with my grandparents and we met up with a group of friends whom I knew. These were men and I knew them and there was somebody there I didn't know. So he was sort of like on the periphery because he knew people, but I didn't know him. Yeah. And he, he kind of kept trying to distance me from the group and I kept saying, oh, leave me alone. And I would go back to, you know, being with the group and then we, we all got fish and chips at midnight and we went back to a chap's house who just lives around the corner from where I was living, 10-minute walk. His parents were there. And so we watched the young ones, which was the thing to do back then. We ate our fish yes. and chips and everyone was staying on to watch the All Blacks play. And I yes. wanted to go home to bed. And I say, so I'm saying, good night. And he, he's like, I'll give you a lift. And I'm like, no, I don't want you to give no. me a lift. And, and uh, he said, why not? I said, because I don't know you and I don't want to get in the car with you because I don't know you. And so then he involved everybody else to get oh, me in that no. car. Yes, no. and, he's, and everyone said, you 
have to get in the car. We will vouch for him. So they pushed me into the car. It was, you know, half a dozen traffic lights and red stop signs later that he went straight through nonstop. We lived at a beach town. We were in a remote section of beach. And I'm busy trying to open the door to get out when he's grabbed me and shoved me between the bucket seats, you know, back in the um, day, bucket seats. Yes, yes. <laughs> and he's dragged my leg over the console thing and he's torn my clothes and his weight is pressing on me and I'm stuck. And he's shoved his, you know, his finger and he's trying, he's trying to force himself in me. He's sucking on my neck and he's panting. You know, I you want this, you want this, you want me, yes. and I'm screaming, this is rape, this is rape, stop, stop, stop. And I don't know how long that went on for, and, and I, all I could do was move my bottom area slightly, and he would, he really tore my insides because he would oh. slam me and then he would tear, and then if I moved again and twisted, he'd slip out and then... And he got quite angry with me <laughs> and he was, was really, you know, quite, um, I was quite shredded and very swollen and, um, and bruised, very badly bruised. And I, I don't know why he stopped, but he just stopped. He started Thank the car. God. Oh, well, he'd raped me, but um, yes, I had. I had to, talk, you know, sort of like got, I got myself in the seat. He drove me. He didn't speak. He drove me to my grandparents. I remember getting out of the cupboard. I don't remember going inside. Now, this yeah. chap actually worked with a number of my family members. Yeah. And um, the next, I told my grandparents what happened. And yes. we all got together for, for Sunday tea. And so yes. I'm in the bar. Soaking myself with Epsom salts because I'm in so much pain and I'm, oh. you know, in a dreadful And all the inside of my thighs was aching and bruised and my genitalia was so swollen it wasn't funny. And my mother just come bursting into the bath, <laughs> my poor mother, you know, and she's sort of like everyone had been talking about it and decided that I had sex and then I decided I didn't want to admit to that and so I'm, I'm crying right now. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. And so I'm getting screamed at and, you know, I'm sitting, I'm just black and blue. I can hardly walk. And so anyway, I uh, just took myself off to the bedroom and um, the ne- it was a day or two later at work I got a phone call to say that my bags had been packed and they were waiting on the street that I was not to go back in or contact my grandparents or anything. So I caught oh. the bus that night home from work, picked up my bags on the side of the footpath, and my girlfriend's mother took me in. Oh, Michelle. So I will share with you that um, it was only a few weeks later, just, just a little while later, that my grandfather met me at the bus stop. And he said to me, and I didn't understand this for a very long time, um, but he said basically people can only understand what they know. They can't understand something that doesn't make sense to them. That they don't know. Yeah. Yes. It's like if 
they can't imagine it, they try to explain it in another way. If they're confronted by it, they reject it. And so he was basically sort of telling me that, you know, he to forgive them because they didn't know better. Oh, I, but, you know, but he'd come to make sure I was all right. So the interesting thing about that story is um, that that weekend the, the boys in the group that had vouched for this chat, yes. my yes. friend had rung them straight away and they said, bring her up to the West Town. And I went up and they said, oh, my God, we're so sorry. Tell us what he did. I did my best to say, and this is where it's really important, um, it's really hard for someone who's been assaulted to be giving extreme detail yes. <laughs> about it. You yes. can't give it in the way that I'm giving it now. It's not possible. And that's what we need to remind the audience, that these stories that you are openly and vulnerably sharing with the audience are the result of decades of healing and uh, working through the trauma. That's the only reason and the only way that you can be vulnerable and tell these stories now, isn't it, Michelle? Yes, that's right, Tony. The thing, yes, and I'll talk a little bit about how I found a pathway that, um, yes, yes. that enabled me to be where I'm at today. But I think it's, I think coming back to your question, here's the thing. Um, our loved ones, they kind of expect that we're there for them. And yes. when, when you when you re respond in a way when they're super vulnerable and they're super fragile and their entire world has been destroyed, they're like you're yes. like roadkill, but you're still alive. So you kind of got to scrape yourself up, stick it back in there, and stitch it up, and then try and find a way forward because the person you yes. were before that did. You know, and so when you, it's like when they look in the mirror anymore, that you don't know who that person is looking back. Yeah. So, correct. But when people are um, sort of coming from an unresourceful space because they're confronted, because they don't understand sexual assault, that's as bad. Absolutely. <laughs> As the Absolutely. But it really is, it, it makes it so much worse than Absolutely. if so we look at it from okay, environmentally, something could happen. Something could a rape could happen to someone if their family is incredibly knowledgeable and they get them the right sort of resources and support the impact is going to be different to someone who environmentally doesn't have those supports. Correct. Absolutely. Over the years and some are sort of in a different space um, than other people and it yes. does come down to that sort of thing, you know. Um, and it's sort of like... And this is where I think it's really, you know, it's valuable that you wrote your book too, Tony, because yeah, a rape doesn't just happen to the victim. And it took me a long Correct. time to realise that. My poor mother, yes. <laughs> you know, how many times did somebody rape her daughter? 
Yes. You, that must have been horrendous for her. Every five yes. minutes I'm saying or something great to me. Well, not quite every five minutes, but do you know what I'm saying? No, but it wasn't just Yes. It was so many times and it, it it's so confronting, especially when you've been Very raised this isn't something to talk about. So that would have been so hard for my parents and, of course, all they got from me was anger and then having to see me fall apart with first anorexia. Um, yes. Then my drug of choice, right, uh, was bulimia. And I fell into it quite by accident, and I didn't even know that it had a name. I was at my cousin's wedding, um, and I was sitting there next to my mother, looking up at the bridal table. I was quite happy, and then all of a sudden I I was triggered. And, of course, I wasn't triggered with one assault, (laughs) I had, you know, several of them at that stage. Yes. But one, two, yes. three, four, four. And I just I, I just had to run. I just had to run because yes. I couldn't breathe. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I just couldn't exist. I just, it was like I couldn't yeah. exist. And so I, I fled into the bathroom and um, and then I just threw up. And I just, yes. just made peace descended upon me (laughs) it was amazing and I suddenly felt like I could feel myself right because I'd never been able to I'd observed happiness but I didn't know what it was I kind of observed myself physically but unless it was pain related I didn't really know who I was I didn't I didn't have this tactile or even image association relationship with myself yeah but suddenly it was just me everyone else was yes. gone <laughs> yes. you know and you know and here's the truth about bulimia right I didn't even have to stick my fingers down my throat a lot of the time um. <laughs> it would just happen I could yeah. I would I'd just find myself a spot and it would just come up because the triggers yeah. were so intense, especially after the next rape at the age of 21. After that, it was really traumatic and really bad. It was yes. really significant. Now, I'd actually um, been to a doctor and been sent to the psychiatrist and the psychiatrist is like, he take this tablet, took yes. the tablet. Uh, you know, that, it doesn't work for me. And, um, in fact, it knocked me out to the point where if someone had come into my room and raped me, I never would have woken up. So it's like, oh. that's not an option. And it blew me was a much preferable option to that, you know. Yes. And something that I'd like to share with everyone right now, and, be, and this is something I shared with a little lady I met on a website, and she lives in Delaware, and we've been doing some work together. She was really upset with herself because um, yeah. we started working together after her third attempt at rehab. Yes. And I was upset with herself because she'd been on drugs. And I said to her, hey, come on, it doesn't matter what you've done. You should celebrate the fact that, you know, you found a way to stay here until you could find an answer to make it better. Yes. Right? So, yes. okay, bulimia might not have been the most resourceful option, but it, it meant that I was 
I was still alive because I have to tell yes. you that when I wasn't... Statistically. I drove recklessly. I hate heights and I would walk very close to the edge of things that it's incredible that yes. I didn't fall off, right? So yes. there was parts of me that I, I would often sit there contemplating how to kill myself. Yeah. That was not unusual. So to be honest, you might say, oh, okay, bulimia is a terrible thing, you poor thing, but no, hey, come on, I actually kept myself alive until I could actually find an answer and find a way out. And to any of you, you know, that... Just, yes. Michelle, I was just going to say, we need to point out for the audience that statistically speaking, survivors of sexual assault will suffer from a plethora of problems in trying to cope with that assault. So it's not uncommon. Suicide, drug abuse, bulimia, anorexia, a whole range of illnesses will be related. You can become addicted to depression. Yes. Yes. And because depression becomes a secondary gain, because you actually, because the bonus of being raped is that people give you attention, even though it's unhealthy attention. And there are people um, that I've met who, if I say, you know, oh, I was sexually assaulted, they they will start crying if there's a room full of people. If there's not, they won't. But if there is, they'll get all traumatised and upset. And then they'll get pity. And yes. you can see that they actually glow with the pity. Now, that yes. is a secondary gain. It's their way of coping with, with being assaulted. That's the bonus. Yes. That's, you know what I mean? Um, and it is addictive. Mm. And people might be going like, what yes. the heck? But I have spoken with people and you know what? They admit it. It really yes. is. And I've spoken to counsellors and I've spoken to a lot of people in the mental health area that agree that this is a problem. So we get PTSD, yes. absolutely. We get triggers, absolutely. Yes. Emotional roller coaster rides, pits of despair. Like, yes. really, I mean, hideous, right? Um, yeah. And it's it's a matter of, it, I think it doesn't really matter how you get through until you're, you find an option or you're ready to take up an option. Um, I yeah. think it's tragic that people end up dead. Yes. I Which think brings that- me back to... Some of what is happening in Australia at at the moment, and for those of those listening in America, we have some very highly publicised sexual assault cases uh, playing out in the media at the moment. One of those has resulted in the suicide of the person involved, and uh, and so that. It, the timeliness of the discussion that Michelle and I have embarked on for Australian listeners is paramount. At the moment, we have women marching on Parliament House and across a number of other places in the country um, highlighting the damage that sexual assault does. They're, They're marching for a number of other reasons, but we are going to highlight the damage that sexual assault does. We're going to delve into the things like consent and what consent means. 
Um, but before um, I get uh, further into this discussion, I just want to remind everyone that Michelle actually has a best-selling book out at the moment. Michelle, can you quickly just tell us um, about that book before we get on with the um, discussion? There's Michelle's book, Insight, Up Close and Personal Profile of Sexual Assault. And as you can hear from Michelle's story, she was prompted after her own healing and discovery of what helps to write this book. So, Michelle, um, congratulations on having a best-selling book how hard was it to write that book? Well, Tony, actually, it was very easy to write the book. It, it was. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's a reason, and it is the, is the fact that um, I haven't erased the trauma or the memories, yes. but I have mm. set myself free from the emotions. And I have, yeah. Um, so I call it empowered survivor as opposed to just surviving. Yes. Because I don't yes. have triggers. I don't have those panic attacks and flashbacks and things like that, right? Um, but you've that's why walked I think through them. I have. You, and I you think have that's, had those. that's why I'm excited about this book. So yes. um, I think for me it was it, I, I I was really focused in on writing it. You were there at the retreat, yes. you know, where I, I was. was working. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And to me it's been a really exciting journey um, because I have so much knowledge and yes. I'm aware that there's going to be people whose feathers are ruffled. Yes. And, you know, but it can't be avoided. And some of those feathers are going to be therapists. <laughs> yes. Because, yes. and we'll talk about this in another session, because, we will. you know, sometimes they're the reason why we never get past it. And we'll talk yes. about that another day. But it's the book yes. that, that, I, that has evolved from a five-year-old and everything yes. I have looked at and questioned as I've gone along. And so to actually be able to get it as a resource for people yes, is actually been a really um, empowering thing for me. You know, mm. it's like because I know all the answers on how we can fix everything um, and yes. I talk about where we sort of the key things in this book, it's simple. Yes. It might not be easy, but it's simple. Uh, but we have to swallow some really big pills, right? We've got to yes. have to own up some things and accept some things like the fact that rapists actually, we allow them to, to get away with rape. Yes, I would They're, agree. Get out of jail free cards and as a society and we actually... Um, are choosing that they continue to rape. And there'll be people out there going, what's she talking about? And, yeah, I know. And I agree. You- no, no, I agree with you on this. On this subject, I absolutely agree. We do not hold them to account. Considering the impact and damage they have on their victims' lives, their mental health, the plethora of things that happen as victims, absolutely, we let them off way too easily. But it's because we're ignorant, because we don't actually understand that. And I'm going to share a little story with you here that's really going to put yes, this in place. 
So I yeah. was uh, living in Sydney many, many moons ago and I was uh, doing drama classes and I was meeting some people before we, before we went to drama class and it was sort of in a, like a, a cafe bar so you could buy a drink, you know. Yes. And um, it was an afternoon and I was having a, a cuppa and there was a chap in a booth and I sat in another booth so I was kind of backed onto them. And all these other mm-hmm. men arrived. And they sat down and they started to talk and it, and they were talking about who they'd been raping and they were sharing their oh. story and oh they were laughing goodness. at their victims. They were laughing at how they, they'd convinced those people they'd raped that they'd asked for it. Yes. And, and, and then they'd share stories like, you know, oh, Bob, you know, oh, she's making a bit of trouble. Oh, well, tell him to try this. This worked for me. So I'm sitting there listening to this. It's just like it was surreal. It was like I was in another time zone or another you know, universe. Yeah, it was absolutely. They were quite happily sitting there talking away about it like they had no problem. Nowadays they use the internet. But they've been having yes. community-orientated discussions for quite some time. Um, but it just puts into context what they think. And I share another example in this book about some teenage boys. Um, yes. And when you think about it, it's like it's scary because we've yes, no idea it is. and do know the fact that they actually um, feed us <laughs> Their their story to manipulate yes. us so yes. that we'll turn to find eye when they rape someone. Yes, and we'll be on their yes. side. Yes, when my boyfriend dragged me off from a twenty first birthday party, tore my clothes, strangled me, brutally raped me. Um, a lot of my friends who were no longer my friends. Because he went round yeah. to their houses, she doesn't love me anymore. Um, oh, my they, goodness. They, it was my fault. It was my fault that that happened, that I'd caused it. Yeah. Because yeah. he convinced them about it. Yeah. And these are Michelle, think that. Yes. This, in, in this program, I just want to highlight one point very clearly for the audience. Once you've been assaulted once, it leaves you with an indelible vulnerability that predators seek and find. So it is not uncommon for women to be assaulted again and again and again until they realise it's like a neon sign but perpetrated. And that's exactly right. That's right. Yes. Yes. And can I add we something to We need to highlight that. Yes. They are not just raping you. They are yes. raping a whole range of people. So the last chap that thought he might rape me, and he was such a successful rapist that he was foolish, he underestimated Yes. Me. Now, yes. he, I was at a Halloween party in the Philippines when he forced the door. And I stood up because I just sat on the toilet. I stood up. I've got my little sweet laces around the ankles. I'm not going anywhere, right? But he just—he yes. didn't realise 
who I was. Now, I didn't know at the time that he was raping a group of women regularly every weekend over a two-year period, plus women in the office, right? Oh, my goodness. So he was so experienced, he was so used to the way that victims respond that he stupidly didn't see in me that I was a little different. And so he presented me up there and he's going to rape me and I said, yeah, okay. But before I did that, I didn't shut down. I actually said to myself, okay, (laughs) what's the best outcome I can get for me? I knew that I couldn't stop him. He was bigger than me. And, and even yes. though I was lifting a lot of weights, there's no way I could have stopped that man. But I had a plan yes. that I created very quickly. I could do that because of my mindset, because of the changes that I'd made. And I said, and okay, I'm healing. You know, and I said, but I want you to know that there's going to be blood and there's going to be evidence I didn't want this. So people are going to know, right, if you're going to do it, well, let's have at it, right? Because I just thought, if you're going to do it, let's. Let's do it. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to take the action that I've planned. And you, you, I don't want you to rape me, but, you know, whatever. And, of course, he couldn't rape me because he didn't really know what my response meant for him. And I've actually done something oh. similar over the years. So in my late teens, as after that yes. last chapter I told you about, well, yes. I didn't quite manage to tell you that when I... When I went up to the to the pub to talk to these chaps, five other women came to me and thanked me for speaking up and they shared their yes. story. And it was exactly the same story as mine. And this is where I became curious. And so I began yeah. to listen to what girls were saying in toilets or streets or just all yes. around. And I began yes. these things together. And I did go up to some men and say, I know you're a rapist. And some of them yes. were like, what? <laughs> and they were worried about yes. what that meant for them. Others were like, you know, bleep, bleep, off. <laughs> yes. And others yes. were very proud. And it was like, wow, God. you know how amazing I am. Swear to God. Oh, my God. We oh have, my you have to realise um, people need to understand that these guys and girls, because women rape too, these people who are sexual predators, um, you know, they they think they're pretty amazing and they think we're pretty stupid. And the whole thing's a huge laugh. Yeah. You've got to understand the mindset of them. And this is why I wrote a, a, a profile of everything that I yes. learned. So here I am standing in front of this chat who's never confronted someone like me before in 2010, and he just doesn't know what that means for him. And over the two years we lived in the Philippines and belonged to this international group, at social gatherings where we both were, he would hide and peek at me from around the corner. He would watch me. He'd never approach me. But the funny thing was... Um, I was in a I was in a canoe in the middle of a lake at a social outing with the ladies group. When we got yes. talking, and I was leaving, and this mum was saying, "I wish we'd been friends." And and I said, "Yeah, why not?" And why you know why did that happen? And she said, "Oh, because his wife had said to her that he didn't want her socialising with me because my oh. husband had a lesser position as a job." 
than him. And he only wanted her socialising with people who were sort of senior management or managing directors. And I burst out oh laughing. I said, no, Miss G, but I said, the only reason he said that was because he couldn't rape me. And she went white as a ghost. And I knew straight wow. away. And then she, she proceeded me about what he did to this group of women. And, you know, it's funny because from when I first met them over that two-year period, they they turned it, they were drunk by lunchtime. If we ever, yes. we ever saw them, drunk by lunchtime. And they, they, you know, it was always blamed on menopause. And yeah, I no. often wondered, but, um, but that she confirmed that it was because they couldn't cope. It, it, it's like um, we used to have this ad on TV here about a lobster. And, you know, the Chinese restaurant, someone come out and take the lobster out yes. and then come back and get yes. another lobster. One lobster left and every time the door opened, he'd, he'd get stressed, that poor lobster. And they were like that because they didn't know which one he was going to pick. And so all week oh. they were sleeping and they were hoping that it wasn't them. And then they were feeling guilty because they wished it was someone else. Can you imagine yeah. the mindset of someone that's carrying all that around? It would have been wow. so terrible. Yeah. Yeah, Michelle. So, uh, oh, sorry, Tony. Yes, <laughs> I was just going to say we are out of time, or just about out of time, on the show today. And I am really just so lucky to have you on this series of shows to have these real conversations about a really tough subject. I am grateful that you stopped and we could do this live today and start this conversation around sexual assault because. Both your and my aim is to educate the wider public and sure, we might ruffle some feathers, but it's about time we had these frank and open conversations about what sexual assault looks like and how it plays out in the lives of victims because we need to do better, don't we, Michelle? We need to to be better and do better. The thing is that um, you're not a victim until you are. You're not a mind yes. reader and you cannot yes. prevent it happening to you because there's nothing That's that right. you do that singles you out. Yes, definitely, yes. when you've been a victim, you are more vulnerable to either Absolutely. domestic violence or more sexual assault. And, yes. uh, you know, we're so going we'll to talk, talk about that. Yeah. But yes. And so uh, anyone who's got a question, email it to Tony and we'll, we'll, we'll answer those and questions either. Before next week or next week? Yes. Yes. We will be back next week at the same time with another episode of Insight, Making Sense of Sexual Assault. I'll be back with Michelle and we will have another frank, open and vulnerable conversation about this very tough subject. Thank you, everyone, for listening. For more information on Michelle or her best-selling book, jump onto RadioTony.com and you'll find the links to Michelle's information and her book is uh, best-selling insight um, is available today. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Michelle, for stopping in and making this uh, live show. We will be back next week. Bye for now, everyone. Bye.